Hello, and welcome back in to the Ephesians Curriculum Podcast. Uh, This is Landon. I am here with my friend Rachel. Hey, guys. And the great part about this week is Rachel and I are here in person. It's Uh, so good. (laughs) The last time, I think it was week seven, so a couple weeks ago, uh, you may have heard Rachel sounded a little bit more granny because she was... you know, coming in via Bluetooth, but now we're here both together in the the podcast room, ready to uh, chat a little bit about this doozy of a week. <laughs> it's um, a doozy. So we always like to say uh, it's good to read the scripture before you dive into the podcast, and I would probably say that's especially true yeah. uh, for this week. I think leaders, if you're listening to this, I think this is a week of the podcast that would probably be really helpful to encourage your group members to listen to before. Um, that's always the plan, but uh, speaking from a fellow leader, I know that that's not always the case um, that everyone listens. So I think that really encouraging your groups to listen to uh, the podcast this week, just because I think that context is especially important. And if you have read through it, um, this is kind of talking to everybody, uh, you're probably like, what the heck uh, is <laughs> it's going really on? really confusing. I'm not married. Um, I'm out of the house, so I'm not really a child. Um, slavery isn't really a thing in my modern American context. Um, so please, with, with that context, <laughs> Rachel, uh, you're our expert yeah. here. Um, but like I said, I think context is key. So maybe we can even just paint a little bit of a picture of uh, where we were last week with Rick, mm-hmm. um, but then also maybe giving us some context um, for this week as well. Last week with Rick, we talked about Ephesians 5, 3 through 20, which was probably the most practical passage mm-hmm. of the semester. It includes this hymn that was likely sung by the ancient church, which proclaims to wake up sleeper. We are encouraged to walk and become light. It's not just we were dark and now we are light. We are becoming light to this world. And so we had this conversation of our daily walk. Um, So when we are walking in sin and when we are walking in obedience. And so some of the things that Paul drew out was sexual immorality, alcohol. Um, Some of these things that as college students might be really practical for us to think about and to consider. And so then that moves us into this week where we're going to talk about Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9. And this might stand out as like a little confusing for everyone. Yeah. And that's because context is just so important to understanding this passage. And so before you have a conversation, leaders, please send this podcast to your group so that you can have like a fruitful discussion of what Paul is actually saying. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes we'll read our English Bibles and think it's like, oh, this is what it's literally saying. But is it what it's literally meaning? Is this literally what Paul was saying to this ancient Greco-Roman people? And so to get literal meaning from scripture, we often have to look back to the context in the ancient language that this was written in to understand the literal meaning. And so that's what we're going to try to provide for you guys in the podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, we just want to give you all a good good baseline, good floor. And um, man, we believe that like scripture you know, is God breathed and it has power. And yeah. so doing a little extra work on our end to um, to find some context um, and to dig a little deeper, I think is going to prove worth it in our group's discussion. Yeah. Um, so with that, Rachel, uh, start wherever you'd like. Give us some context. <laughs> so we have this organized kind of into three groups of people. Mm-hmm. There's husbands and wives, there's fathers and sons, and then there's masters and slaves. And so there's three groups that Paul is talking to. And in each of them, he is doing a similar thing. He is bringing value and elevating people who are 
not valued in the ancient Greco-Roman world. And so in an ancient Greco-Roman perspective, men were the highest in society, well, wealthy men who are like businessmen and all that. They were the highest of society. And so there are other parts of your class or your gender, what have you, that consider you to be lower and even not human in a lot of ways. And so when the gospel came to this Greco-Roman context, Jesus shattered this and is preaching something completely different. And Paul is continuing this imploration of a gospel-minded perspective of bringing value to the least of these in society. And so um, the first that we see this is with wives and husbands. And so we often see this word that's translated submission. Mm -hmm. It comes from bostasso, and um, it does not imply subjugation. And so often we see that more like, oh, well, wives in Christian contexts don't have a voice and they're not allowed to speak their opinion, which is just like completely untrue and not what Paul is saying (laughs) at all. Um, Will you define subjugation for us? Yes, subjugation like um, put to the side or just like not given a voice. Um, Being lorded over Mm -hmm. is maybe a good word, like good way to say it. And so when we think about women in the ancient Greco-Roman world, these were people who were considered oftentimes like less than human. Mm -hmm. Um, Women were like the lowest of society. They weren't given a voice. And Jesus came and changed that. We have like fossil, well, like bone records in the catacombs of women in a certain area before the gospel was preached. And the women's bones were like broken and battered. But then after the gospel was preached in that area, their bones were restored because women's, the treatment of women was so elevated by the gospel that women were no longer treated abusively in those areas. And so... That's what the gospel did. (laughs) And we even see Jesus, born of a woman, going around and healing women, having conversations at wells with women, inviting them to follow him and be a part of his entourage. Like the first people who saw him after he rose from the dead were women. And so Jesus changed the game for this. And Paul is continuing that by elevating women into the status. In verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That Mm -hmm. he's even giving women the ability to submit to one another with their husband is a crazy thing to say in the ancient Greco-Roman context. And so really what we see here is an elevation of a person and not a subjugation. That's good. Uh, And you kind of of talked about like that that Greek word, um, will you say it again? Yuvostaso. Okay, that's not how I'm looking at it, like well, <laughs> written out, and I wouldn't have pronounced it that way, but that's great. That's actually a different, what's written down is a different trans, like a different pronunciation of Greek than what I learned. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> but talking about this idea of submission, I think even the fact that it's like conditional and voluntary is like a super key aspect of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to build on that at all. And so, an answer to that would kind of bring us to a theological question that comes out of this text because my answer would differ on whether I was talking from a complementarian perspective or an egalitarian perspective. Um, And so in verse 21, it says to submit to one another. So it seems like both are voluntarily submitting Mm -hmm. to one another as a eupostazo is suggesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But how that looks and is expressed is different 
based on what type of marriage relationship that you are um, resorting to. So, yeah, break um, those down for us. Yeah. Give us some some good definitions. What uh, do we mean when we loaded. say yeah? So when we say complementarian or egalitarian, what yeah. are we talking about? So first, I want to emphasize that if you are one or the other, you may not look like someone within a comp like. So there is a range of complementarianism and there is a range of egalitarianism and there are two extremes and the extreme of complementarianism is probably what we would place on this passage if we didn't understand eupostazo well where we subject women and don't listen to their opinion and cast them aside that would be a far extreme of complementarianism that isn't biblical actually and if we go too far in an egalitarian perspective, then we are seeking self-autonomy, which isn't a biblical perspective of marriage. And so a biblical synopsis of complementarianism would be that men and women equal people in marriage, um, but men hold like a headship role within that relationship. And um, that doesn't mean that they domineeringly make decisions for their household they listen to the opinions of their of his wife, but um, he is left with the ultimate decision. If that makes sense, yeah. is that good? And then egalitarianism will view again: men and women are still equal, um, but they are. It's more of like a compromising relationship where mm-hmm. they are both offering their opinions and coming together for a compromise. And both, if you look at the narrative of scripture, if you look at context for this passage, for other passages that discuss this, you can come to either conclusion as a biblical perspective of marriage. And I want to emphasize that because if you, whichever land you fall on, that's okay. And if your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, a group falls in a different land, that is okay. Because when we read, let's remember what we've read in Ephesians, week by week, unity. We are called to be unitive. And this is a perspective, these are two perspectives that are both biblical. You can only go probably about 80% and you're proving your perspective right. But then there's still that 20% that you're wrong. And so understanding that there's still that room that you might be misplaced in your perspective helps kind of an understanding of, okay, like, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. We're just seeing this different. Yeah. And so if you do come to this theological discussion in your groups, just let it be one of unity, good conversation, really press in at one another, like with one another, but don't let it be divisive. Yeah, that's good. Um, so then even, I think I obviously, you know, 99% of our students are going to read this and say, I'm not currently married. Yeah. Um, and obviously this kind of maybe casts a little bit of a, a vision of um, what submission within marriage looks like, but does it offer any wisdom to those of us who are currently single or those of us mm-hmm. who are dating? Yeah. Well, I mean, what is so often used as an image of the church in Christ? Marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and so we better understand the, our relationship as the church with Christ through the the imagery of marriage. Which is really what Paul's trying to do yes, here. It's yeah. certainly what he's trying to do here. And so those two things are so mirrored. And so that would be like my invitation to, A, like really consider your relationship with Jesus as not just yourself, but the church and fellow believers 
too, considering, okay, this is something to think about before, if I ever, if I believe that I am called to marriage, this is something to consider before you hit that point Yeah. so that you know um, where you fall before you get there. And um, yeah, I think those two would be good things to think about. And you could also, just being trained in these different perspectives allows you to be a witness to other people who are walking through and wrestling with this. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because I think that... Um, obviously our culture comes at marriage from a different place and sometimes it can be yep. about what, you know, does this person offer me? Mm-hmm. Um, what can I, what do I stand to gain from this? And so this casts a much different vision of, um, you know, how can I give myself up? How can I, uh, love this person, uh, as Christ has first loved me? Yeah. Um, which is very, very, very countercultural. So I think yeah. that's important to to keep as a forefront. I think that's even good to keep in front of us for those of us who are dating and those of us who are single. I think it's a good vision absolutely. of um, even just how Christ has given himself up for us. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Cool. So that's uh, wives and husbands. Do we feel good there? Yeah, I okay. think so. Cool. Uh, so moving on to the part about children, maybe give us some context there and then dive into... Um, yeah, just the significance of what, what Paul says in this section. Okay, so the Greco-Roman context and culture really value a couple of things. They really value your ability to reason, to be rational, to have strength like military strength, and to be courageous. And so when it comes to children, children lack these things because mm-hmm. they are young. Mm-hmm. And so they have not developed in no any of No fault of their areas. own. <laughs> yeah, no fault of their own. And so children are just like cast aside as like, and like even despised and like degenerated. Like it's like children are like really low in society at no fault of their own in the Greco-Roman world. And it's honestly really sad to read about... Um, just how fathers would treat their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fathers in ancient Greco-Rome, maybe I should have said this a little earlier, but they were like a domineering head of the household. And so even when I was talking about earlier about men and women becoming equal, even within marriage, no matter if you view it complementary, complementarianly or with an egalitarian perspective, um, in the, it's like so huge because the men in the household in Greco-Rome were like the big deal. Their word goes. And they had the ability to decide if their children was going to live, their child was going to live after birth. Yeah. And so bef- before the time that they dedicated their child to their family, if they decided they didn't want their child, it was left in the streets. Like horrible stuff was going on. And of course, Paul's going to be addressing this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, as children, like he wants children to obey their parents, like the commandment, honor your mother and father, like honor your father, but also fathers, like value your children. Um, and this is a little touchy when we think about our culture because we think, oh, that would never happen. But it, it does happen. Mm in our world. Um, It just is a little unseen and behind the scenes. And that's why the um, life ethic of of scripture is just so valid and important to really consider Um, because we see this and we see how horrible these children were treated. Like I could go on with stories that I read in studying this of how children were treated And I honestly left this crying (laughs) because it was just so bad. Um, And we see the early church even 
going out into the streets and picking these children up. Like they would, like the early church would go out at night and search the streets for these children so that they wouldn't be devoured by wild animals Mm -hmm. or like killed by the elements or starvation. And so multiple false, like orphans were brought into the church in the early church because believers were searching for these discarded infants. Um, And so children is then our second group of people who are elevated to a status that the Greco-Roman culture was just devaluing. Mm -hmm. And like, we even see this with Jesus. Like he's bringing children to him and he's like bringing them value over their elders in some instances and saying, your faith should be like these children. Yeah. That's a wild thing for him to have said. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one of the first things that, yeah, that popped into my mind when I read this portion of the scripture. I think that I'm sure, you know, most of us, you know, maybe not most of us, but some of us grew up in, you know, churches where there's a children's ministry and there's a, you know, there's a youth group and that kind of thing. And I think that you can read that and you're like, oh, of course Jesus loved children. But I think understanding the context of like just how radical of a thing this is for Paul to say is important. Yeah. Jesus loved children and gave honor to children in a culture that hated them. Yeah. And so really what this is revealing is just God's heart for the, you know, the least of these, for the marginalized and to, to bring them, um, you know, to level with everyone else because we're all, um, equals in Christ. Yep. So cool. Does that feel good on children yeah. and parents? Yep. Great. Um, yeah. Sometimes your relationship with your parents can be complicated when you're in college. So, <laughs> but honor your mother honor and your father. father and mother. <laughs> there you go. That's a whole separate podcast. Um, and then I think we move into this third portion, which maybe be, might be the most tricky, yes. uh, which is slaves and masters. Uh, and obviously that might bring up some different uh, images and thoughts. And uh, maybe for some of us, that's, um, you know, slavery in the American context. Yeah. Um, that was along racial lines. That's not really what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rachel, maybe give us a little bit of context here and even just give us a little bit of a roadmap of how to read this back half of the scripture well. Yeah. So I first want to point out that the word for slave in like the, this is true for the Old Testament and the New Testament. This concept of slave and servant was just so different. Um, They, like we don't actually have a word to place over what they're intending to say here. And so if we say slave, it has these connotations that are incorrect. If we say servant, it's like not exactly Right, but it's somewhere in the middle of like slave and servant that we're talking about, but not like modern day slavery at like in any way. And so even the translation of using slave is a little complicated. And I just want to point that out because we read that and we assume something that is not to be assumed. And so that's like a good context to go into. Yeah. Um, so it is, I do just want to admit like it is unfortunate that this passage has been used in horrible ways in the past. Yeah. Um, when it comes to women, when it comes to masters and slaves, um, this passage has been manipulated yeah. and it's wrong. And that's why we today want so badly to have a good context in our reading. That's good. Because context does provide a much more fruitful understanding of this text and a much more Christ-like and Christ-centered um, understanding. Yeah. And so when we read this passage we need to be careful not to place our modern understanding of like independence and um, 
the however many years of slavery um, that has incurred for t- hundreds of years in the modern world, well, Western world, I'll mm-hmm. say. Because um, slavery in ancient Greco-Rome or servanthood, however we want to translate that word, yeah. um, this was like more of like a working class role. And so in the intertestamental period, so the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have a lot of warring going on and a lot of different cultures intermixing. And so you have Persia, well, Babylon coming in, Persia, and then Alexander the Great, who is Greek, came and expanded across the whole territory. And then you have Rome coming in. And so we have all of these like conquerings and these conquerings produce um, this class of people who are indebted in some ways or are put into slavery or the slavery role because of um, their role in the conquering kind of situation. And so this was like a working class of people. Some people chose slavery because they could then pay off their debts and not be in debt anymore. Um, It was a working class role so that, um, that like helped, it was like a part of the economy. And so when we think about people who were subjected and treated horribly, like this isn't really what we're thinking about. Um, They were lesser than because we are talking about these three groups of people who the Greco-Romans looked at and saw as less than themselves. But it's not like the same context as what we think about in the modern world, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, I think even this is just, I don't know, even just more broadly is helpful to think about, uh, to kind of cut through the noise and think, I think the broad theme we're seeing here is um, the gospel continually elevating, you know, those that are, including those who are on the outside. And so I think that the question we need to ask is, who are those people, you know, in our, in our modern day? Yeah. Um, you know, is it the the homeless among us? Is it the orphan among us? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. women caught in prostitution? Like, I think that we need to start yeah. to ask those questions of, okay, who are the people, you know, in our modern context um, that Paul would even be addressing um, in, a, yeah. in a radical way yeah. and thinking, okay, you know, where where is my heart not softened? Yeah. Um, and beginning to um, let the spirit do some of that softening work in Absolutely. our lives. Yeah. I think that's a really good question to be discussing in our groups this week. Like, who are those people? Um, I don't want to give the answers because I think we might have different answers based on our upbringing. That's good. Um, Our experiences, what we've been taught, what we need to have unlearned, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I even look at a verse like verse 7 uh, of chapter six. And I feel like that just kind of like sticks out from all of the, you know, the weird contextual stuff. And it just says serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Yeah. Um, I think that understanding that like how we treat others, how we treat one another matters. Uh, I think that even builds into the whole, um, the whole theme of unity that we've been working towards in Ephesians of, you know, we are as Christians called to treat one another in a, in a way that's different than how the world uh, treats one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, you know, how we treat those that are on the margins, how we treat those on the outside, it matters. And uh, Christ's heart is is for them um, and is to include them. And so um, he wants to do some work in our own hearts to yeah. align us with those purposes. Absolutely. Cool. 
so coming out of this week, what's some good, um, maybe practical application, would you say? Yeah. Um, I think your question about like who those people are is a great application. Um, well, like consideration that could lead to application. Um, and that application being like really praying for God to like renew our minds and our hearts, um, to be ordered with him, to see with his eyes and to break our hearts over what breaks his heart. Um, so that we can be witnesses to those in society who are on the outskirts or who are devalued in some way. Um, Yeah. I even think about like David in his message. um, He had a message recently on risk uh, and risk as like as, as part of our journey of discipleship. And I think he had this part where he talked about like, um, we just kind of look and we say, oh, someone else will love them. Someone else will do it. Someone else will, you know, meet them where they're at. Um, When really I think part of, you know, the cost of discipleship is really, you know, entering into those risky spaces and entering into relationships with people that um, we may not want to enter into a relationship yeah. with. Uh, and so I think that's part of the invitation even of um, that Paul's giving us in this portion of Ephesians. Yeah, and I and through that prayer, like you're saying, what is the conversation we're going to have with um, if there's like an, a specific person on our mind that we are, that's on the outskirts or that we have ourselves devalued. Like who is that person praying for them and also praying for the opportunity for conversation with that person because we don't want to just like pray that our heart be changed so that we just have a heart that's like God because God's heart is also in movement. Like it's going towards people. So how is God calling us towards that person as well? Great. Well, I hope that this conversation uh, has been helpful for you all uh, and gives some good context for uh, groups this week. Rachel, is there anything that you feel like we haven't hit on anything? Maybe any final words that you want to leave us with as we go into group this week? My final word is that I just want to read a quick little verse from Galatians 3, 28. Um, Galatians was also written by Paul. And so a lot of these principles that we see here, Paul continues through all his letters. Like it's not just a one and done. Like this is Paul's heart because it was Jesus's heart on this earth. Yeah. Um, and so it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there a male and female for you are all one in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. And so just in reflection of this week, just like re- really holding on to that verse, I think that verse in Galatians is like the theme of what all Paul is saying in yeah. this whole passage. That's good. Man, Rachel, thank you for digging in and doing some of this extra work um, so that we can have some fruitful conversation. And uh, man, you guys are troopers for uh, making it this far through Ephesians. And uh, man, we're going to be back next week for uh, the last week of our Ephesians curriculum. We're almost there. Summer's right around the corner. (laughs) I feel it. Have a great group, guys. We'll see you soon.